defying all hatred be the love beyond toleration be the love before pride and exaltation be the love be the love You are listening to Be the Love, transcending through the shadows into a higher state of consciousness. We are souls on the journey, opening up the conversation to heal, awaken, and connect ourselves and the planet to a higher vibration of love frequency. It starts with you. Everything you need is within you. This is your time. I am Stacy Musial. And I am Sam Fernandez, and we are your co-hosts at Be The Love Podcast. Thank you for tuning in and ascending with us. Hop on board the Ascension Bus. Hello and welcome to another episode of Be The Love, Transcending Through the Shadows. My name is Stacey Musial. And my name is Sam Fernandez. And we are your co-hosts and souls on the journey. And if it feels safe for you, I'd just like to invite you to begin to get centered with us and just take a little deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth, just breathing out anything that you're ready to let go of. And again, just take another deep breath in through your nose, breathing in calm, peaceful energy and breathing out just any tension or areas of discomfort that you're ready to let go of. And again, take another deep breath in through your nose and just feeling your whole body in this moment. Breathe out. Just breathe out anything that is no longer keeping you present in this moment. And remember that you always have your breath to come back to. Today, we have Brian James with us today. He is a transformational coach, yoga teacher, musician, and shamanic practitioner. Brian began exploring yoga and plant medicines over 20 years ago. After a crisis in his mid-30s and struggling with stress, anxiety, and addiction, he began his own healing journey. He spent the last decade learning from master teachers and exploring in greater depths the medicine paths of yoga, music, shamanism, and psychology. He has dedicated his life to sharing the healing powers of yoga and music and is taught around the world from Shanghai, China to the heart of the Amazon jungle. Brian is also the yoga author of Yoga Plus Plant Medicine, as well as the, the host of Medicine Path Podcast. So thank you so much for being here today, Brian. It's so nice to to have you with us. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. Um, Just to clarify in the bio, while I started exploring the paths of psychedelics and yoga over 20 years ago, um, my midlife crisis wasn't 20 years ago. It was about (laughs) 10 or 12 years ago. So just to not make me older than I am. So I'm 46 now, so it was around 34, or yeah, 34, 35, where I really started to uh, set out on a path of healing with some intention. Uh, but the exploration began many years before 
a lot of fumbling around in the dark. So uh, <laughs> I worked with a little more direction and purpose uh, starting about 10 or 12 years ago. Yeah, but thanks. I appreciate yeah, yeah. the intro. <laughs> sure. Thank you so much for the clarification. Um, so, so speaking about just that path, tell us a little bit more about what led you to the path and what opened up that, that path for you. Uh, well, like I said, it was a bit of a midlife crisis and, um, I'd been working in advertising as a graphic designer, working my way up the corporate ladder, making more money, uh, winning awards, getting a lot of, um, praise for the work I was doing. But as I, uh, as I went up the ladder, I found I became more disconnected from the the roots of what got me started on that path in the first place, which was a love of uh, creating and a love of uh, words and images and mixing the two and um, a, a desire to communicate and to take complex ideas and to make them understandable for people. That's what I really see as my main function. Uh, when I was a graphic designer, but when I started to um, uh, do work for corporations that I didn't um, that I didn't like, that I didn't feel ethically aligned with, um, it all started to create a lot of inner conflict and tension, and that was expressed in anxiety. I would have uh, panic attacks lying in shavasana at the, you know, yoga class at the local YMCA. Um, I didn't really know what was going on. So it got to the point where it was causing enough friction, you know, that I had to start paying attention. And so I, uh, I reached out for help and I sought out a counselor for the first time in my life. And, uh, it was really through that journey of starting to reconnect to my my dream life um, that I, you know, I can look back and say that I was really reconnecting to my soul. Um, and in that, then finding my way to plant medicines as a way to go deeper into that exploration and reconnecting with, uh, you know, my um, my original self, we might say. I, I try to stop using the word true self because uh, it's still such a mystery to me who I really am. Uh, there seems to be like an endless depth to the psyche. And so my journey is just to keep exploring that, uh, not with any end goal in sight, but it's really a journey of uh, being open and curious and kind of alive in the wondering as a, mm -hmm. uh, as a verb. Uh, so plant medicines have been a, a real big part of that journey, uh, as has yoga. Yoga is something I can do every day to kind of dive deep within and, and see what's there, see what's there, see what wants to come forward in my life that day. So it's like um, a daily check-in with my deepest self, or at least as deep as I can go that particular day. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, dreams are very much um, still uh, a big part of um, this ongoing exploration. So just 
paying attention to my dreams, letting them kind of work on me throughout the day or the weeks. Some of them last quite a long time. Um, and uh, also engaging in a conscious relationship with my life partner, my wife, Debbie, who's an astrologer and herbalist and a yoga practitioner. Uh, you know, I find that the relationship brings up everything, really, <laughs> including a lot of the stuff that uh, um, I'm not so accepting of in myself. Uh, I sometimes talk about marriage as like, you know, waking up with a mirror every day, even if you didn't want to have a mirror <laughs> to reflect back at you that day. But uh, when you're in close, committed relationship with someone, um, you can't help but uh, see things about yourself. Uh, so yeah, the relationship is a big part of this journey too. So it sounds like just recognizing, yeah, that uh, relationships, they tend to maybe bring out the things that we need to work on the most or ready to work on, or that's what they're, they're there for to yeah, hold up that mirror and, and let us see, okay, well, it's not about them. It's about what's happening within myself. And so, yeah. yeah. And I mean, when you, uh, when you're in love with someone, you, you really pay attention to them and um, just noticing how the way that you are, the things that you say, the things that you do, how it affects that other person. Um, because it's it's a special kind of relationship because they're always there and so you see the kind of effect that you can have on someone and maybe it's the unconscious things that you say that you uh, have no awareness of that they might be like a barb and uh, that's been a big part of my journey is um, learning how to use my my voice um, for uh, well for a lot of different reasons but uh, to be really careful about my voice because my voice does have power um, and so trying to use my voice more for healing than harming which was a you know it was a really helpful protective uh, quality or talent that i had when i was younger being a a small sensitive kid growing up in a in a kind of brutish <laughs> environment you know very blue collar uh, lots of sports, um, lots of kind of unhinged male energy around. And I, I could never, I never felt like I could defend myself physically against uh, some of the uh, confrontations. But I found that I could use my voice and use my wit and intellect to kind of diffuse bullies. Mm. <laughs> uh, so it was like helpful when I was younger, but like a lot of these um, defense strategies that we that we um adapt in our younger life to make it through uh at a certain point maybe it starts working against you instead of working for you uh, so that's been a big one for me um and my wife has definitely been really helpful in that respect um I, as i write in my book i say that she was the first woman that i'd been with who really called me on my stuff, uh, who let me know when stuff hurt, you know, mm. when uh, that that witty comment, you know, the thing that I thought was so witty, when it actually stung. And um, then I could see that maybe I was um, uh, throwing out that dart because of, 
you know, some pain that I was feeling or uh, some insecurity or sensitivity that I was experiencing. Um, so just, uh, you know, being in committed relationship, showing up every day into that uh, can teach you so much about yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to add that it's not always the 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 kind of negative stuff, you know, the stuff that we don't want to see that uh, um, it's also like my relationship also brings out the best parts of me, too. And I feel that Debbie was able to see maybe my fuller potential even back when I couldn't see it myself. Mm-hmm. And and so entering into that uh, commitment with her was um, one of the big catalysts that got me started on my healing journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so being in a marriage for a couple of years, really starting to see some things about myself or getting curious about stuff I couldn't see. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a big part of it too. So in a lot of ways, she's been my biggest guru. So it really sounds like, you know, just having that outer relationship with Debbie has really helped you form the inner relationship with yourself to bring out those things to say, okay, well, this is, these are um, things that I might need to work on or things that I'm really, maybe um, that are really good and positive aspects that you are wanting to bring out more of. And so you said it was the relationship has been the catalyst for you um, on your own personal healing journey. And so I'm wondering how medicine journeys, such as working with the ayahuasca plant, have supported you on your plant into the deeper healing. Well, um, like any kind of alchemical relationship, you know, one that uh, is going to cause some kind of change, um, plants can be a really great catalyst for opening things up for helping us to see things that we can't see uh, or that we've shoved down so deep that uh, we don't want to see it right so um, i found the plant medicines um, and synthetic uh, psychedelics as well mdma has also been a really good ally for me but all of these substances that we classify as psychedelics you know it's in the name so if we break apart that names psyche and delos from the Greek, psyche is, means the soul. So that deepest part of ourself that's with us since we were born. And uh, delos is to reveal. Um, so it reveals the deepest parts of ourself. And, and that's all of the stuff that we would consider positive and negative. And I think um, when we talk about the shadow these days, uh, a lot of times people are only referring to the kind of the dark stuff, the, the stuff that we consider negative or uh, harmful, whatever. But it's also the, the great stuff that we can no longer see about ourselves. You know, I think um, one of the ways I think about tra- trauma is that it's, uh, it's a disconnection from the wonder that we all knew as children. And I think of wonder as what happens when we're open and curious about life. Uh, you know, the kind of natural response is to be struck with wonder mm-hmm. at the uh, the vastness of life, the the beauty of life. Um, and so, the things that we think of like um, anxiety, depression, despair, I see as symptoms of this disconnection from wonder. Because even if something um, challenging is happening in our life, if we engage with it, with this spirit of openness and curiosity, 
and wonderment, um, we can learn something from it. And so taking that thing that's like um, painful or challenging and, and learning from it gives it, uh, puts it in a context which provides some meaning. And so we don't fall into despair. Um, we don't give up because we can see that it's, uh, it's offering us something you know, if we're interested in, in growth and learning along the way, you know. Um, so plants are just another way to do that. And they're a particularly powerful way to do that. At least they were for me. Um, they really uh, helped me just uh, break with the, the patterns that I was in, um, you know, for a period of time enough to get a different perspective on my life and to see that there was something more, there were different possibilities available to me. Um, and at a, you know, at certain points in my life, I've really needed that help. Um, so just like a good therapist can do the same thing, offer a, a different perspective because the therapist is, is on the outside, you know, looking, looking at you, looking with you, uh, they can see things from a different perspective and that we can't see because we're right in the middle of it, you know, and if it's a really difficult or painful thing, uh, that can be quite overwhelming and um, can really kind of constrict our, our vision or our perception, right? So whatever helps us to see things a different way uh, can give us a taste of freedom. And sometimes that's really all that we need is just to know that uh, you know, this may be temporary, uh, that maybe there's another way to see things, which has a profound effect on, on our, our view of it or the way it affects us. Uh, so, you know, any kind of relationship. And so my, one of my great yoga inspirations, TKV Deskachar, he would always just say very simply that yoga is relationship. And so in the joining of two things, there's a relationship there. And it's being in that relationship with openness and curiosity is where we can learn. Uh, we can learn about life. We learn about other people. We learn about nature and the world. Uh, but we also learn about ourselves, you know, if we're willing to use the mirrors that are all around us mm. every single day, if we're willing to peer into them and really have a good look at ourselves, um, they're available. So plant medicines are, have been really a helpful mirror for me. And so you mentioned just, I mean, just a lot about the relationship we have with plants and plant medicine. And so I wonder if you could just talk a little bit more about that. Like, how does one develop that relationship um, with that plant and how can they use that for their own benefit? Mm. To yeah. Um, well, you know, maybe I'm talking about relationships so much today because, you know, before we started recording, I mentioned that it's Venus's day. It's Friday as we record this. And um, that, uh, you know, that um, changes the way that I'm responding, probably. Uh, the last podcast I recorded was on a Wednesday, which is um, Mercury's day. Uh, so the archetype of, um, or the God of communication, uh, but also the kind of trickster spirit. And so I was feeling like a little more, um, like the trickster in that last interview I did, but this one, I'm just, uh, I seem to be focusing a lot on relationship. Uh, so I'll, 
I'll uh, attribute that to being Venus's day, uh, goddess of love and um, and appreciation. Uh, so when we think about relationship with plants, um, I've come to see it no different than any other relationship really with any other living being. Um, we can relate to plants in so many different ways. Um, and I think it's up to each one of us to to um, to figure out what that relationship looks like. You know, so with something like plant medicines or psychedelics, it's so individual. Each person's path, um, how they engage, uh, how often they engage, in, in what context they engage. Some people are quite happy to do plant medicines on their own, uh, doing solo journeys at home or in nature. Um, other people um, find it really helpful to be in a guided ceremony. Uh, so it's just such a, a big kind of wide open thing. Um, but for me, uh, you know, I like to work ceremonial ceremonially with um, the powerful plants, you know, like uh, ayahuasca is one of my favorites. Um, I like to do that in a ceremony that has some structure to it, that has a, an experienced guide. Um, you know, working with someone who uh, has has forged a relationship with that particular those particular plants, because ayahuasca is a combination of two plants and sometimes more, depending on who's brewing it. Uh, so we'll just say short, you know, uh, like ayahuasca, the brew, whatever that consists of in that particular context. Um, so I like to work with someone who's got a long relationship with uh, those particular plants with that brew. Uh, that's just the way that I've preferred to do it. Um, that said, one of the ways that I've sustained that relationship, um, there have been periods of time where I've microdosed ayahuasca as part of my yoga practice. And I felt at that time that I just needed to stay connected to it, needed to have it in me uh, literally in order to maintain that connection, to stay connected to what I'd learned in previous ceremonies. Um, at other times, I just feel it's with me uh, at this point. Um, one of the maestros that I worked with in Peru, uh, Maestro Juan Flores, who I'm actually going to be seeing on Zoom later today, mm -hmm. amazingly enough. Uh, so he's going to be beaming out a <laughs> virtual ceremony from uh, Mayan Tayaku, which is in uh, Peru. Um, but the way that he would talk about what happens when we ingest these plants. So whether it's uh, the plants of the ayahuasca brew or another plant that he gave me called Bobansana, which is a beautiful little flowering shrub that grows by the rivers uh, in South America. Um, the way that he would talk about it was that when you uh, imbibe the plant, it starts to grow in you. And then it's always with you. And then your job is to cultivate the plant within you. So the way that I interpret that is to, uh, to cultivate the qualities that the plant is giving me or helping to reveal within myself. Um, and that's a way of like kind of nourishing that plant in you. Um, so like with Bobansana, I found uh, Bobansana is like a really, it's almost like the rose. So. I told you I had some rose water here um, and I associate rose and bobansana both with the heart. And so opening us up to uh, love and 
acceptance and compassion, all these like really uh, lovely, juicy qualities that help us be in better relationship with everything. Uh, so I found Bobansana had very much the same effect on me. So while I may not have any Bobansana around here, I do have this kind of northern equivalent of uh, wild rose. Uh, so I can drink the wild rose tea. I can use the Agua Florida made from rose. Um, I can do, I can have a rose around me, like a physical flower. Um, and every time I'm engaging, whether it's the Florida water, so I get the smell, uh, I drink the tea, I get the taste, or I look at a rose and kind of get the, the beauty of the form. Um, it reminds me of the insight that I had when, you know, I drank Bobansana. Um, and it reminds me to love more, to try to be more open and accepting, um, to be in better relationship with everything, myself included, you know? So that's one way that I think about relationship with plants is to, um, to experience them in all kinds of different ways, using all of our senses, um, and to try to stay connected to what the plant represents to you, what you feel it's giving you, what it's teaching you. Um, yeah, does that does that help? Does that answer your question? Absolutely. Yeah, that was a beautiful answer, and it really sounds like just connecting with the qualities, the energy, the consciousness of that plant as it has a consciousness that is there to serve a purpose for for us and for the world yeah i mean i don't know if the plants uh are serving a, a purpose other than one that we ascribe to it mm. you know i think the plants just are mm. and um i think like sam mentioned that the plants are there for us if we're if we're willing to engage with them you know if we're open and curious about them they're just there doing their thing you know, Rose is just being Rose. Um, and its purpose is just to be. So in terms of like transforming human consciousness, I kind of get the sense that the plants are, uh, you know, they're interested in propagating themselves, you know, like any, any being, you know, is just this instinct to propagate, to make more of, of yourself. Uh, I think maybe that's their main directive. Uh, but in their beingness, there's a lot that we can learn from them, you know, like, especially plants, I think are really um, trustworthy and clear teachers for us. Because I don't believe that they have an agenda. Um, and so many kind of troublesome teachers and gurus may have hidden agendas. But I feel like we can really trust the plants. Um, and so that's the way that I relate to plants. It's like I imagine plants kind of have a, a bit of an ambivalence about us. Like the plants were here before us and they'll be here after us. So, you know, I hear it a lot in um, the circles that we run in that the plants have this agenda, like particularly uh, ayahuasca or the mushrooms want to kind of save humanity or wake up humanity so we don't completely destroy the planet. I'm not so sure about that. Um, you know, and like to each their own. Uh, but for me, the the plants are there doing their plant thing. And uh, 
it's about for me just being in relationship with the land that I'm on um, at any particular time. Um, and I'm just kind of like interested in it all, you know, I'm just curious about all of these beings that are around mm -hmm. me all of the time. Mm -hmm. um, I don't expect that they have anything to teach me in particular, I try not to demand anything from the plants. Uh, so I approach them, like I would any kind of like elder, uh, which is like with a lot of humility, you know, I find that um, when I'm engaging with plants, I become uh, very small, very humble, especially powerful plants like ayahuasca has you know, made me very, very small and humbled me on numerous occasions um, where I'm just like kind of in awe of the power of these plants. Um, and I think like humility is a good quality for us human beings because I think uh, we've gotten kind of full of ourselves and we um, become very um, anthropocentric, you know, like human is at the center of uh, reality and we're the most developed consciousness and everything is there to serve us. Um, you know, like so even a statement like ayahuasca is here to awaken humanity or something that still to me sounds like the plant is there to serve humanity. Mm. <laughs> Whereas I think, you know, let's be in service to the plants actually be, because um, the plants have proven that they know how to get along. You know, they know how to live in harmony with the environment, with the planet as a whole. Um, you know, before we came along, the plants were doing just fine. You know, the dinosaurs came and went, the plants are still there propagating. Um, and if it wasn't for the plants, none of us would be here. So uh, let's bow to the plants and humble ourselves to the plants. <laughs> you know, yeah. Definitely. yeah the, uh, <laughs> Sam's into that. He's a plant man. I can yeah, tell. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just love the, you know, the beauty and the simplicity of it all. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's nothing complicated, you know, you, you, you're on a hike or a nature walk or something and you look over and you see a plant and, you know, you wonder, hmm, I wonder what kind of plant that is. And me <laughs> kind of going into my little insanity, I'll actually walk up and say, hello, what's your name? You know, how are you? And, and have a, you know, not, not a conversation where I can actually hear the plant's words, but like an energetic exchange, you know, and I think that's, that's, it's one of the, the, the simplest, but the most beautiful things that I've really ever encountered is just, you know, having an energy exchange with plants and trees and, and things of that nature. Um, and like I, like I did say before, I, I am, I am getting into the, the herbalism and the shamanic herbalism and all that. Um, I haven't, um, done any ayahuasca i haven't done mushrooms i haven't done any of that so i'm still a little <laughs> reluctant on on that so um i was just wondering if you could kind of explain to me and you know anybody else who who is interested but hasn't tried it yet what your first experience with ayahuasca was and maybe kind of take us through what an ayahuasca ceremony might might contain <laughs> okay we're uh that's a big question. Um, so my first, it, it's a kind of a complicated question. And I'll explain why. So my first experience with what we would think of as ayahuasca was within the context of the Santo Daimi Church, which is a syncretic 
church that came out of Brazil in the early part of the 20th century. Um, it was started by a black rubber tapper who met some indigenous people in the forest and got introduced to ayahuasca and had some visions and re started receiving these hymns, these songs. And so out of that grew this new religion of Santo Daimi. So uh, my first experience was in a Santo Daimi church. And in the Santo Daimi, they don't call the brew ayahuasca. While it consists of the same plants as ayahuasca, in the making of it, it's, it's made into a sacrament that they call daimi which is like a Brazilian colloquialism that means like, give me. So um, in the hymns, you'll hear things like, daimi luz, daimi forza, um, daimi amor. So uh, give me light, give me love, give me strength. Uh, so we're really like asking of the, the daimi or the, you know, the ayahuasca, but let's call it daimi, uh, asking the daimi for all of these uh you know, good qualities that we want to plant within ourselves so they can like flourish through us, through our words and our actions and our thoughts. Um, so that's my first experience. So just to make that distinction that, um, you know, we would, if you took the brew out of the church and you brought it into a lab, they would say, oh, yes, this is what we know of as ayahuasca. It has the, the copy vine and the chacruna leaf. Um, but in that context, it's called daimi. So I think it's an important distinction. Um, and the first experience, I, I wrote about that one in the book uh, because it was so pivotal for me. And so the way that that ceremony looked, not like any other ceremony that you're ever going to go to because even in the Santo Daimi church there's certain there's a certain ritual structure to it there are certain uh, symbols that are always used like there's uh, always a cross in the center that has two horizontal bars on it um, the top one is a smaller bar so it's a typical crucifix that we think of, but there's a smaller bar above the main horizontal. And in the Santo Daimi, that represents the second coming of Christ, which they believe will happen in the hearts of all people through the propagation of the Daimi. So the Daimi is like the new sacrament that will awaken um, cosmic Christ consciousness in the hearts of all people. And that will create a, a new Jerusalem so the the world as a holy land uh where we're <laughs> so that's kind of like part of their doctrine <clears throat> and i think that's really beautiful i love that uh that vision that image um so in that particular ceremony you know there was these kind of certain ritual structures that i've come to recognize as being integral to the santo daimi but you know it was um a particular group who you know, it's the Santo Daimi because it comes from the syncreticism of Brazil. So taking a bunch of different things and putting it together in a unique way, it's always changing. And there are these different lines that splinter off like the main trunk that, um, that do it all uh, their own unique way. So bring in different influences depending on the area that they're in or the, the teachers that they're connected to. Um, so there's no one kind of typical Santo Daimi ritual. 
so what that one looked like, uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what kind of detail you want me to go into. I do write about it, but um, it was a very difficult ceremony for me. Uh, I had a, a second serving of the daimi, and that really knocked me out, literally. Um, it knocked me out of my chair. I, uh, I hit my head. I, I went out for a little while. Um, and then I, when I came to, I came back into the circle and um, felt uh, like it not only cracked open my head, but it cracked open my heart. <laughs> and uh, I feel like there was an intelligence working there that uh, that knocked me out of my chair. Um, during the first serving, uh, you know, I was I was feeling it. Um, but uh, it wasn't overwhelming. It wasn't like the stories that I'd heard about ayahuasca. You know, I didn't feel especially nauseous or anything. It kind of felt like some of the mushroom journeys that I'd taken in the past. So I was feeling like a little bit mm, cocky, I think, you know, it's like, oh, I don't know what the big deal is, what everyone's talking about. You know, this is not much different than mushrooms and I can totally handle this. And uh, so it started to like wear off and then, you know, so I, kind of interrupted things and I got my friend who was part of the church to ask the guy if I could have another serving <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know anything about the protocol so I didn't know I was interrupting or when you ask or that there would be another serving later I didn't know any of this so I was kind of like uh, a bit <laughs> kind of stupidly interrupting things and um, the person who was uh, serving gave me this big giant glass full and uh, you know I didn't I just drank it down, you know, it was no big deal. Um, and then, you know, it really hit me hard. And I think it kind of had to do that to get me out of my kind of my patterns of thought, my patterns of behaving, you know, like it really had to interrupt things because uh, these patterns were really deeply ingrained and it just had to like hit me hard and knock me out of it, you know, give me a kick in the butt. And so when I came back, I came back with like kind of fresh eyes, you know, I crawled back to my chair, I got back in the circle and, and everybody like turned and looked at me and said, welcome back. And I felt this like immediate sense of community and fraternity. Um, it was really beautiful. That was like one of my core wounds was uh, not feeling like I belonged in like in groups, uh, you know, not feeling accepted, always feeling like an outsider. And there was this group of strangers who just looked at me with like loving eyes and beatific smiles and said, welcome back. Like, we're glad to have you back, you know? Um, so that like cracked open my heart. And um, the rest of the ceremony was just really beautiful. Um, you know, being so open. Um, I had a couple brothers on either side of me who were more experienced, who were kind of helping me through the difficult parts of the ceremony when the medicine would get really strong, you know, it'd come in waves and I'd start to space out or fumble. And one guy leaned over to me at one point and said, um, just focus on your heart, you know, just breathe, be in your heart. And I was like, my heart? Oh, yeah, I've got this thing it's not just my beating heart but another kind of heart in my chest the place of uh of kind of um inner inner stability like uh i always think of it like um like a home that we carry around with us you know this idea of the spiritual heart it, 
I find it's a place within each of us that feels uh, deeply rooted, uh, deeply at home. Uh, so I was like, oh, well, I can just like put my awareness down into my chest, breathe into that space. And all of a sudden, everything kind of evens out, you know, like all of the kind of you know, the medicine could come on and uh, maybe my thoughts would be like racing or I'd start to get a little scared or confused or wobbly or whatever. And if I just brought my awareness into my heart, I found it was like a still point within, you know. And so what a gift that was that that guy leaned over and said, hey, um, you know, because no one had ever taught me about being in my heart before. Mm. Right. So this was like a really... Um, powerful and useful spiritual teaching that I got in the midst of this ceremony, you know, mm -hmm. by someone who is just kind of aware of me, aware, you know, sensitive enough that he could tell I might be going through a rocky period, just gave me this little beautiful instruction that uh, I still go to all of the time, you know, it's like, kind of, <laughs> it's, it's like, kind of the big practical spiritual teaching, I think, you know, mm -hmm. like locate, this place within yourself, this inner stillness, this place where there is no, there is no disturbance, there is no conflict. You know, in yoga we say uh, place of shanti, mm -hmm. right, of uh, of peace. Uh, so to be able to find that and connect to that. Um, so that was something I remember from that first ceremony that was really amazing. Um, just the feeling of belonging, the feeling that other people were looking out for me, willing to share something, you know, and like the real function of the elder is just to pass along something that somebody probably taught them at some point when they were going through a difficult period, you know, connect to your heart, breathe. So simple, but like, <laughs> and then, you know, that sent me on this whole journey of like trying to learn more about the spiritual heart. I was like, oh my God, what is this, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm still curious about the spiritual heart, you know, and the way that it gets expressed in all of these different spiritual traditions. But it is really at the heart of all religions. You'll find it mm -hmm. in every single religion. Uh, is this teaching of the spiritual heart and different religions express it in different ways. Uh, so there's different images that we can look to um different teachings around it but it, it's there at the heart of all of them and so that remains really kind of central to me uh, on my journey as this inquiry into the heart of the matter <laughs> that sounds really beautiful and just very profound just to really be able to connect with that because that is such an integral part of our existence is that spiritual heart and coming from that place and, and being in that love vibration. And I'm wondering, um, just going back to ceremony and, and connecting with the plants and the messages that you've received and the different maybe pieces of wisdom that you have gotten, like such as that, um, what is what has been your experience with integrating those messages into your life? moving forward, like you, you connect with the plant medicine and then putting it into your, your daily life so that you are um, aligning with that or that message that you received. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I think about it like 
anything that reminds you of that experience is going to be helpful uh, for you to integrate the experience. You know, the profound revelation that you had in ceremony seems to fade pretty quickly. Uh, and I've noticed this um, in you know plant medicine retreats that I've done, but also like yoga retreats, kind of any transformational retreat. There's something that happens when somebody leaves the retreat, the farther they, they get away from the place where the revelation happened, mm -hmm. uh, the more it starts to dissipate almost immediately. You know, it's almost like as we enter back into the wider culture, um, you know, it can be really hard to hold on to that feeling that you had or that realization that you had that seemed just like it was going to be so central to your life forever. Like there's no turning back, like I've mm -hmm. changed forever. Well, you'd be surprised how uh, quickly we can fall back into uh, old patterns. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's because our um, the kind of dominant culture is so dominant and so powerful uh, and we're so kind of plugged into it all through all of these different channels, you know, so we're receiving all of these different images and messages all the time that, uh, you know, maybe the, um, the revelation that we had starts to get like smaller, uh, or more intangible, and we maybe start to doubt it, you know, like, oh, God, that whole thing about the heart, was I just like super high? <laughs> or was that like real, you know? So for me, uh, as I like return from a plant medicine retreat or any kind of kind of transformational experience I've had, I always try to like bring something tangible back that reminds me of the experience. So like I was talking about before, like continuing this relationship with the plants, um journaling has been really helpful to me so while i'm still kind of in that dreamlike state you know where it feels so real and so important you know I, I write it down or i often find myself making like a little picture that somehow describes the revelation that i had um, i find talking to other people can be helpful uh, sharing the experience can make it more real uh, so whenever I'd come back from one of my central Daimi road trips, uh, you know, first thing I do is sit down with Debbie and I kind of give her the big download. And, uh, I found doing that was really helpful in, uh, in integrating it, you know, mm -hmm. making it a part of who I am, um, and a part of my life. Um, I, I always bring back like some artwork and things like that, you know, um, so I'm looking around my little yoga studio uh, where I make music and practice yoga and see clients and stuff. And I've got like all of these reminders, you know, I've got my um, yoga lineage. I've got pictures of them on the wall. I've got, uh, you know, Shipibo tapestries, like the one behind me. I've got rattles. I've got my drums, um, you know. I've got all these things to keep me kind of in it, you know, keep me connected to that experience. Mm -hmm. And then that connects me to the the teaching that I received, you know, the insight that I had, the revelation that came to me, whatever. Every time I look at these things, it, uh, it evokes something of those experiences for me. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, um, 
getting myself back into a similar state of being, you know, into that state of like openness and wonder is really helpful. Um, so my yoga practice is super helpful for that. You know, mm-hmm. quiets my mind, gets me in my body, really connects me to breath, you know, which all of the old traditions associate with the the spirit or soul. And um, you really start to get that when you go deep into your breath in, um, in just getting really sensitive about your breath. So working on uh, pranayama, which is like this whole art form of being in deeper relationship with your breath. Um, and like when we, when we get interested in something, it opens us up to wonder because anything that we really look at with fresh eyes is so mysterious and wonderful. I've done lots of meditations where I'm just staring at a candle flame Mm -hmm. and I look at the flame. And if I really look at it, you know, with fresh eyes, it's the, the most amazing thing. You know, I've got one in front of me now, so I'm looking and it's the flame is dancing it's giving off this like golden lights. It's from a beeswax candle. It's giving off warmth. Um, it seems somehow to be nourishing me, you know, it's like a lot different looking at that candle than looking at my computer screen. You know, one is this kind of like cold blue light that feels very flat to me, mm-hmm. even though I can see you guys, there's a flatness to that world in the computer. Mm-hmm. And then when I turn my head and look at this candle flame dancing, it it just seems alive. And it seems like it's in relationship with the environment, you know, whatever subtle breeze is coming through, it's responding to that, you know? So um, it's available to us all the time, you know, these kind of revelations and uh, ways to, open up to the wonder of life. We just have to look at things with fresh eyes. And so anything that you do that uh, brings about that kind of um, childlike way of seeing, you know, um, for me, yoga is helpful. I love chanting and singing, uh, singing like, you know, with my guitar. Uh, so not like Vedic chanting, but uh, just singing these little medicine songs that I've, uh, that I've learned. Um, Anything that just gets me out of that kind of default state of like planning and analyzing, um, all of that, you know, something to interrupt that. And there's just so many ways to do that, you know. I think for each of us, um, we just want to find our own uh, special sauce, you know. So (laughs) for me, it's like it's music, it's yoga, it's shamanism. I love depth psychologies, working with dreams and uh, tuning into images and archetypes. Um, I love nature and I'm really blessed to live in a very naturally abundant place, you know, in this coastal rainforest. So I go for a walk with my dog and uh, he reminds me to to stop and, and sniff around, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll see something new there, something kind of uh, surprising, um, some new plant or, you know, we had a windstorm. And so there's like branches all over the place and everything's kind of stirred up. And so it's always fresh and new. Mm-hmm. So, you know, integration, it's, uh, it's really, it's really personal, 
And when I work with people, it's, it's uh, me getting curious. So offering some different uh, perspective, you know, um, but really what I try to do is just help them find their own special sauce. You know, what are the things that open up your heart? What are the things that you really love? What are the aspects of whatever experience you've had? What are the aspects of it that kind of stay with you? Mm. You know, what are the things that, what are the seeds that have been planted that you can nourish? You know, like what's already there? So if someone has an experience with ayahuasca or mushrooms or something, um, and they're a Christian, you know, and Christ comes to them in a vision, well, let's go with that, you know, like let's not bring in anything new. Like let's not impose a new um, spiritual worldview or cosmology or pantheon of deities or anything onto this person you know let's use what's there so if you're doing yoga and uh, you're a muslim and your uh, yoga practice becomes like uh, a muslimic prayer um beautiful let's go with that like let's go where there's already a flame you know mm-hmm. something like that so always just trying to follow each individual, you know, all I have to do is get curious and start like noticing things and asking questions and um, everything is already in you or me. Uh, it just um, take someone maybe to be there to help draw it out and to, to hold it up and say, Ooh, you keep talking about this, you know, did you realize that this is so kind of central to your experience or do you realize how important this is to you? You know, does that help to give you an idea? I mean, it's a big topic. You know, all of these things you ask about like ceremony, plant medicines, relationship, integration, they're huge topics. And Mm -hmm. we could, we could talk about them like for days, you know, but I hope that gives you some sense of my approach at, at least. Yeah, it definitely, uh, definitely does. Um, and, uh, I just, I love hearing, you know, your explanation of like the correlation of everything, you know, it's, um, again, and I know I've used the word before, but it's, it's, you know, it's simple and it's beautiful. Um, because yeah, it does, it doesn't, you know, this, this kind of stuff, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated, you know, and it doesn't have to be anything more than it already is, you know, and I know for me, especially, you know, and, and this is, you know, it's part of my path and it's part of my journey, but, you know, searching for, oh, okay, well, well, you know, this person is, um, believes in in hinduism so maybe i'll go that route oh that's not working for me this person believes in buddhism maybe i'll go that route oh that's not working for me and uh instead kind of you know going like you said like deep within you know going going into the heart going into what's already there and nourishing what's already there um and you know kind of uh, and restoring what's already there you know and um and you know, I know that, you know, you, you know, your um, shamanic practice, it's, it's, (laughs) seems like a really amazing practice. And one thing on your website that really drew my attention was your statement that says it's uh, only by restoring shamanic roots of yoga, that we can access its full potential as a path (laughs) of healing and transformation. So what exactly are those shamanic roots of, of yoga? And how would we begin restoring those roots? Good question. So uh, that statement is, of course, my opinion. 
<laughs> and reflects my my very personal experience of yoga and shamanism. Um, so that disclaimer uh, said, let me try to explain it, <laughs> what I meant by that. So um, as I got deeper into yoga and explored more of the shamanic path, you know, including work with plant medicines, but also other shamanic techniques like um, journeying with a drum, chanting with a rattle, things like that, um, working with the kind of the everyday plant teachers around us, living a more shamanic life, um, I started to see that there was a lot of similarities between the deeper aspects of yoga that I had to really go digging for and uh, what we call shamanism. Now it's, it's complex because the word shamanism itself is an anthropologist's term, right? Um, so it's a very broad term that describes a very diverse range of practices and expressions. Basically, the way I think about it is that what we call shamanism is a, is a range of practices that are intended to facilitate healing and to attain spiritual knowledge and power. So I say spiritual because there's something of the mystery in it. There's something um, of the unseen world in it, right? That's what makes it a little different from seeking knowledge by reading books or um, practicing science in the way that we think of science, right? So there's, there's something about it that uh, there's the healing aspect. There's also this uh, seeking knowledge and, and power. And when, if, I, if I take that definition of shamanism, um, which I think most people would agree with, <laughs> and I overlay that on top of what I know of yoga, I can see that that definition works for yoga too. So yoga is another very broad term that describes a whole range of practices and approach. You know, there's hatha yoga, there's raja yoga, there's karma yoga, there's bhakti yoga. Um, you know, it's like yoga has been kind of split up into all these different expressions and those expressions turn into schools and they can get kind of like rigid and self-contained. But um, one of my primary yoga inspirations, uh, Sri Krishnamacharya, he said that there's really only one yoga and that it was a mistake to divide it up into all of these different uh, approaches or paths. And what he really wanted to do was to reunite all the aspects of yoga that have been divided out. Of course, we know yoga means to join, right? So to divide up yoga into all of these parts and uh, you know, codify them into brands or styles or whatever is, uh, is counter to the goal of yoga, <laughs> just to join. Um, so if we think about Hatha yoga, I think that's really, uh, you know, when we think about healing, so healing the physical body, yes, the asanas can be really good for that. But primary to Hatha yoga is healing with the breath. 
so there's a whole aspect of hatha yoga and i think it's really the the heart of hatha yoga is this, what i might call energy management so learning how to manage your prana so that you can be healthy uh, when our prana is functioning then our mind is also healthy it's more in its natural state where it's uh it's flexible and open and you can be alert but it's not an agitated alertness you know there's a kind of uh inner stability that comes when your prana is well managed so hatha yoga i see really as a form of energy healing just like many of the shamanic traditions have that same view of healing that at the root of all of these things, all these symptoms that we can recognize, and I think in the West become too fixated on, is just alleviating the symptom. They would say that there's an energetic cause to any of those symptoms, right? So the idea is to get to the root cause. And uh, shamanic traditions, yoga tradition, see that really as energetic blockages or disturbances how do we restore that um so that's the healing aspect and hatha yoga is really focused on that but if you go to a, a typical yoga class these days it's mostly just about postures so it's about um, finding healing in the physical body alone and you, you might find some classes that bring in more breath work uh, but it doesn't have the central place that it does in the actual tradition uh, where the asanas are really there to facilitate the breath work. So, you know, some kind of um, constriction in me can manifest physically, you know, as physical tension or a kind of holding pattern in my body. And we find this a lot with people who have experienced uh, some kind of trauma in their life. Uh, there'll be some kind of place of held tension in the body. If we think about that as an energetic blockage, and we approach it through breath work, which, you know, now we can use science and we go, okay, when we're doing the breath work, we're actually restoring, restoring like a natural function to the nervous system, mm -hmm. which then our Western mind can go, oh, okay, well, of course, that's going to have an effect on the physical body and the mind. And if you look at any um, trauma treatment now you know whether it's uh, peter levine's somatic experiencing or the work that bessel van der kolk has done um gabor mate whoever they'll always uh incorporate some aspect that we can point to as as yoga they may not call it yoga bessel van der kolk really um has been helpful in, in showing how yoga helps with healing trauma uh, but sometimes they're just working with the breath in some way so Peter Levine might ask a client um, who's experiencing some distress to take a deep breath in and then make a like a sound with their exhalation, like, oh. Now, he's not calling that chanting, but that's basically what he's having someone do. And chanting would have, chanting om would have very much the same effect in restoring this natural state of the nervous system where we're alert but relaxed. So that um, natural state of the nervous system is the one in which we can be in relationship with something. So in order to be in, I'll just say, right relationship with something, whether it's a person or a plant, 
we we need to be in an open and receptive state. We have to be willing to really see and feel and hear the person. Uh, and we have to be alert. Like we have to be paying attention, you know. But uh, we don't want to be too alert that we're kind of over vigilant, because uh, that brings kind of like a tension and a constriction, uh, like a hyper focus to what we're able to see, right? So there's like this balance of openness but alertness, and in yoga we call that uh, stirasuka. These are the qualities we want to cultivate in our person, you know, in our asana practice. Uh, steadiness, but openness, alertness, but relaxation, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, wh where was I going with all of this? I went down <laughs> a rabbit hole of talking about yoga and I want to make sure that I answer your question. Uh, shamanic roots of yoga, right? Okay. So let's see if I can, uh, bring this back around. I, sorry, I tend to go off on tangents. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so one aspect uh, that I would see is shamanic of yoga is the healing aspect. So yes, then I started to talk about how it's an energetic healing process that we can engage in, um, but also seeking the knowledge too. And the special knowledge, the, the hidden knowledge, the esoteric knowledge, um, this is very much at the core of yoga as well. Um, if we are alert and relaxed and open, we can learn things about ourselves and about the world around us. You know, we can, like we talked about this before, if you really pay attention to a plant or a candle flame, you're going to receive some kind of secret information about it, you know, some kind of like, it's like a secret of the universe sometimes, you know. So you just, you watch. And so through the energetic practices of Hatha Yoga, we can cultivate this state of alert openness, you know, like meeting things halfway, like I'm alert, so I'm paying attention, but I'm also open and receptive. So it's this kind of play. Um, and then uh, power. So, you know, in shamanism, we can think about power as having some kind of control over things, the ability to affect uh, matter, you know, ability to affect things through whatever kind of shamanic technique, you know, the Shipibo people who I've been with uh, will do that through singing, through the voice. Um, you know, they talk about it like the ayahuasca helps to open up the patient so that then the healer can go in and uh, create more energetic balance and harmony in their system through the use of sound. So using sound like a kind of like surgeon <laughs> or maybe better is like someone who can realign things so that things flow properly. Right. Uh, but also using the drum or the rattle. Um, there's a lot of different ways to kind of affect things. Uh, and I see that as a kind of power. So for me, learning the techniques of Hatha yoga, I experience an immediate effect within myself immediately and that's one of the reasons why i think it's so powerful and why so many people have picked up on it because they've gotten a little taste of that so if you've ever gone to a yoga class and had a um a good experience you know where things just kind of clicked it was the right teacher at the right time and you're paying the right amount of attention and you're doing it just the particular way you've gotten a hint of the power of yoga uh, and so you might feel just better 
-hmm. right? You might just feel like, oh, my, I just feel so at peace lying here in Shavasana that I don't have a care in the world. Uh, or maybe you start to move better, um, you know? So the immediate effect is felt first within ourselves. And if we continue to do it, well, of course, then we're going to show up in the world in a different way. And we're going to start noticing an effect in the world around us. It's not that the world around us has changed, but we've changed. So when I do my yoga practice in the morning, I notice how I'm better able to be in right relationship with my wife or with my dog or with the, the cranky neighbor. <laughs> And that changes my reality. It really does. And it might even start to affect the way other people act. Um, I, I've seen that, you know, how if we just show up in a different way, maybe it's a kind of inspiration that happens. You know, someone, a friend or a family member sees a change in you and they're just like, hmm, something's different about you. You're not quite so reactive as you were. You don't, uh, you don't take the bait anymore, you know. <laughs> Uh, and that can really affect uh, the dynamic of a family, uh, of a workplace. You know, I've seen um, that effect, you know. Um, yeah, so that's a kind of power, I think, you know. And it's not some, like, kind of supernatural power, like, I'm going to make it rain today. <laughs> I haven't achieved that kind of power. But I have the, the power now by learning these techniques and learning how to apply them to really create a change within myself. And I see how that starts to change the world that I live in, right? Mm -hmm. So healing, knowledge, and power. And um, those I see just as uh, primary aspects of shamanism and of yoga. So how do we reclaim that in yoga? Well, to go back, uh, to look at what are the core practices of yoga, uh, to discover the power of the breath. And I don't mean breath applied in this kind of forceful way that's gotten quite popular now, uh, like with, um, you know, holotropic breath work or Wim Hof breath work, this kind of thing. It's like this real, like, vigorous hyperventilation in order to, I don't know, throw viruses out of your system or whatever, right? Or to achieve some kind of psychedelic state. It's, uh, it's a lot more subtle in in the yoga tradition and uh, there's a subtlety to it there's a kind of finesse and art to it um, because there's uh, so many different ways to apply it depending on what's going on within us so it's like being a uh, you know like a jungle doctor you know Patanjali who's one of the kind of root sources of yoga he's a, considered a great sage but he's a very shamanic figure and when he's depicted, he's half man, half serpent. His lower half is a coiled serpent. And he will usually have a hood of serpents um, over his head. It's kind of like a protection or somehow symbolizing like the Sahasrara chakra, like this openness, this uh, connection to the cosmos, to the infinite. Because the, the serpent um, usually signifies wisdom, but also the infinite. You think about how a serpent slithers along. It just seems like there's no beginning and end. Um, so very much a shamanic figure. So when you learn yoga, you can be like a shaman. Mm -hmm. And so that 
means being able to diagnose like what is what's going on, first of all, and what's needed in order to bring about the kind of change that I want. Right. So where do I apply my power? Uh, how do I apply power in, in a good way or in a helpful way or a creative way, a life supporting way? Uh, so that's like being a good shaman, I think, you know, when it's like life giving and life supporting and creative rather than mm-hmm. destructive. Because power is, again, like I think nature is uh, ambivalent. It's benign. It can be used for good or bad, right? So um, I become more skillful in my application of the yogic techniques. And so there's all these subtle ways to work with your your breath, um, subtle ways to work with sound, uh, all kinds of different ways to work with meditation, depending on the person and what their uh, interests are, you know, what kind of cultural background they come from. Like... I would never ask a Christian to chant to Shiva or to pray to a, a, a statue of Shiva or image of Shiva. Uh, they're a Christian, right? It's like find that seed that's already in them. So maybe it's Christ or it's Mary, um, you know. And and so then, as a teacher, I'm helping adapt to them. Uh, and this is this is uh, what I was taught that. Uh, is integral to yoga is learning how to adapt yoga to the individual, not adapt the individual to the yoga. Mm. Like Sam, when you talked about, you know, you find this teacher, you think they're really great. And it's like, well, they're a Buddhist. So maybe that's the way. And so you think, well, I've got to become a Buddhist for a while too, and see like, you know, if I can be like this person I admire, uh, or then a Hindu comes along and you're like, Oh my God, Ram Das went to India. That must be the path. And so you try it out. But, um, I really think it's about like discovering the seeds that are already in us because we we have those seeds within us. Each one of us comes from a lineage, and there um, there are things that uh, come through us through that lineage. Whether we uh, have like a a uh, physical relationship with our elders, you know, some of us don't. We have really fractured kind of families, but those seeds get carried through, you know. And I think um, those are like in the in the soil of our being, those seeds are already there. So what's there already? And finding ways to nourish that and to bring that out is a kind of yoga. Um, a, a teacher I really admire, Thomas More, he wrote a famous book called Care of the Soul. Um, and then he later wrote a book called A Religion of One's Own. And uh, he was very much about this um, this journey of uh, exploration and finding what seeds are in me. Uh, how do I nourish them? How do I nurture them? How do I help them come? How do I help them flower? You know? Wow. Thank you so much for, for just sharing that. I mean, just really it's, it's, I think, you know, it comes back to, yeah, meeting people where they're at and honoring each other for, who we are as individuals and what has led us there. So planting, not not just planting, but like um, growing those seeds, nurturing the seeds that are already there within each and every one of us and what resonates because what resonates with one might not resonate with another and it's never out there, but it's within. And as mm-hmm. you said, mentioned earlier that 
you know, you started to notice those changes within and your outer environment started to change. And so I think when we finally find what works, what resonates, what we feel called to do and trusting our own inner wisdom on that, recognizing within, then the outside is going to change. And because as soon as we start listening to our own selves and loving ourselves for where we're at, it also emanates outward. So. Yeah, that that um, it's something that we hear a lot, uh, but it's maybe not so easy for a lot of people yeah. uh, because through because of whatever reason, you know, mm -hmm. maybe it's a, a trauma that someone's experienced or uh, some something in the family or in the culture, but. So a lot of people, and I know I felt this way before that mm. kind of big breakthrough experience, feeling really disconnected from mm. that wisdom within, like even forgetting that it was ever there, right? Being kind of so, you know, uh, unconscious of it, you know, um, that, you know, to hear something like just listen to your inner wisdom, like we say these things, but the, we have to first find the connection. Right. We have to make the connection and that, you know, then it's really helpful to have a, a teacher or a guide or a therapist like yourself uh, or sometimes a plant medicine or just that amazing magical yoga class where something just cracks open and you don't know how it happened. But, oh, my God, I feel something like I feel the connection. So that's like the first step is to restore that connection and. Uh, that's different for everyone. That's why, you know, as um, people who act as guides, like you and I, Stacy, we have to be really sensitive to how that person shows up, um, where they're at. Because mm -hmm. the last thing I would do is assume that that person already knows that they have a, a heart, that they have an inner guide. Because um, I know there was a time where if somebody said that to me, I said, what the hell are you talking about? Mm -hmm, <laughs> listen, last thing I want to do is listen to myself. It's like it's a bunch of noise in there. And every time I listen to myself, I get get myself in trouble, right? Like I didn't see any wisdom in there. And that's why I needed help. Um, so, yeah, just to just to say that, because, uh, you know, someone out there listening right now who's going like, what are you talking about? <laughs> It's so true. You know, I, a lot of the work I do is about reconnecting someone back to just their body, mm. you know, and that's where it starts, you know, they starting to connect and trusting their own body, you know, and that their mind and their body are not separate, you know, yeah. working through that. Yeah. But, um, you know, depending on that person's experience, um, the body can feel like a really unsafe or foreign Absolutely. place, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to we have to go gently, and mm -hmm. we have to go step by step. You know, Peter Levine calls it titration. Mm -hmm. uh, so that means just like letting a little bit of experience in at a time. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes that's what's needed. Not and you know something like ayahuasca just opens the floodgates, mm -hmm. and that can be quite re-traumatizing for some people right so some Absolutely. people need like a you know we say in the jungle like poco a poco like little by little mm -hmm. so you just need like a little like baby steps in so, toward that connection yeah yeah it's beautiful i love that and yeah the analogy i always like to think about is just peeling back the layer of the onion it's it's about starting out here no matter where the, the person's at we <laughs> you know treading lightly yeah little by and little there's gonna there might mm -hmm. be tears Absolutely. Just like peeling an onion. 
Mm-hmm. That's, that's a good moving, analogy. <laughs> yeah, moving that resistance exactly. Yeah, the tears. I love that. That's <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, we got to peel back the onion and mm-hmm. just to warn you, there might be some tears. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for just being here with us today and sharing your wisdom and insights and just your knowledge and and just everything you've all the what you've shared with us today. Is there anything um, else that you would like to leave our listeners with? Hmm. I feel very much like, um, you know, it's Venus's day. And so I've just been uh, responding to what you guys have brought up. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, because I'm more in like the lover's mode, uh, maybe I worry that I haven't been so clear. Uh, that I've rambled a little bit, you know, if it was Mercury's day, maybe my communication would have felt a little sharper or something. So if anyone has any, if, uh, if I've perked up their ears in some way, and you want like a little more clarity, I have a podcast called uh, Medicine Path, where I've interviewed people um, uh, in shamanism and yoga, music, and um, depth psychology, those are kind of my main areas that I'm interested in. So I've uh, interviewed some incredible teachers and elders. Um, so you can go to that. You can go to my webpage, brianjames.ca. I've got some more information about the coaching work I do. Um, I've written a couple books on yoga, one on yoga and plant medicine. And uh, I, I make courses. So all those years in uh, advertising, now I try to use my powers for good. Like we talked about power, you can mm-hmm. use it for good or bad, right? <laughs> so now I try to um, use all of that skill and experience that I gain to create resources for people so that they can get a little taste of freedom through yoga. So um, I've launched a new course recently uh, that explores a shamanic approach to yoga. So Sam, uh, one of the ways I think we can restore it is through a particular approach to practice. So I've tried to put that into an online offering. Um, it's something that I've done for years in person. And I was a little reluctant to try to put it into a video format where I wouldn't be there to guide someone and, you know, but I'm trying to adapt to our current situation. And um, it just felt like something that I thought uh, would be especially helpful at this time is a yoga practice that um, incorporates the shamanic approach so doing a a very thoughtful therapeutic type yoga practice but then going into a shamanic journey with a drum um, learning how to chant with a rattle and drum so incorporating some of these uh, shamanic elements into the overall yoga practice uh, helping to awaken people's visionary capacity at this time i think is really important um because we're inundated with other people's visions for how the world is and how the world's going to be. And I think what we need to do in response to that is awaken our own visionary capacity so that we can see other possibilities for how things could be. And so shamanism really is a path that uh, to cultivate that within ourselves. Um, so learning how to journey into the the imaginal world, the dream world, the underworld, whatever we want to call it, depends on your perspective. The depth psychologist would say it's active imagination. The shaman would say it's a shamanic journey to the underworld or the upper world, right? The main thing is really um, engaging in envisioning. 
Uh, and so I bring that into the yoga practice. And so that's one way I think we could reclaim the shamanic roots of yoga is to be like the rishis who wrote all of the texts that we consult, you know, those texts, uh, you know, they came, they came to them in their visions. And um, what they've always said is that uh, they're not the final word, is everybody can be a rishi, everybody can be a seer, everybody can be a, bit, a mystic. We just have to um, utilize the technologies that we've learned from the wisdom traditions and our ancestors. Um, and, you know, the vision of the world, the dream of the world has to be ever renewing. We can't get stuck in an old vision of the world. We know where that gets us. And I think our world right now is in a time, it's like uh, collectively we're waking up to the nightmare. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's one thing to want to like wake up and to kind of uh, erase the bad dream that we've been living in. But uh, that's one part of it. The other part is to, to have a vision for the future, uh, you know, to be the change we want to see. First, we have to see the change that we want to be, you know, and that's where vision comes in and vision quests and uh, shamanic journeying and all of that. So I want to create more space for that in yoga practice. Uh, so we use these techniques of yoga to open us up to receive a new vision for our life, for how we can be, and then for how we can be together in this world. So brianjames.ca, that's a portal in. Uh, mm. And then in the work I do, I like to do this one-to-one -one with people, you know, and so adapting the approach to each individual, um, helping them restore their visionary capacity so they can have a new vision for their life and then how to enact that, how to make it happen. You know, make mm. it a reality. Mm. That's a big challenge, but uh, yeah, I think yeah. that's why we need help and support. So that's what yeah. I try to do is just be of help and support. Absolutely. Well, thank you for everything you're doing in the world. So, well, thanks thank for uh, being interested. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> and again, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your experience with us. And Thank you for listening to our show. Stay tuned for more episodes being released on Mondays at 5.55 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. And until next time, love yourself, love each other, and love the world. And if you like this show, please share the love by sharing it with your friends. We love you guys. Love you guys. Take care. We'll talk Bye. to you later. Yeah, I love you too. Thank you, Heather Lynn, for providing us with your beautiful song to accompany our show, Be the Love. If you would like to learn more about Heather Lynn and her music, please visit her website at heatherlynnmusic.com. And thank you, Chrissy Grace at Leading Edge Productions for the beautiful design and graphics. And thank you for tuning in. And until next time, we are souls on the journey. And thank you for hopping on the Ascension bus with us. And remember, there is always a seat for you.